Pop Health Week is brought to you by Health Innovation Media. Health Innovation Media brings your brand narrative alive via original or value-added digitally curated content for omni-channel distribution and engagement. Connect with us at www.popupstudio.productions. And welcome everyone, I'm Greg Masters, Managing Director of Health Innovation Media and the producer and co-host of Pop Health Week. Joining me in the virtual studio is my partner, colleague, and lead co-host of Pop Health Week, Fred Goldstein, President of Accountable Health, LLC. On today's show, our guest is Nicole Bradbury, Chief Executive Officer and Chairman of the Board of the Florida Association of ACOs, also known as FLACOS. FLACOS is the premier professional organization for ACOs throughout Florida, which provides education and collaboration in the fee-for-value healthcare space. Prior to launching Flacos, Nicole led the successful transition of Captify Health to a specialty network benefits management solution prior to selling it to a large revenue cycle company, Continuum Health Alliance, where she also served as their chief growth officer. Nicole leverages her strategic relationships and strong leadership operations and technology background to develop innovative products and growth strategies for healthcare providers as they transition to value-based healthcare. She has led the strategy and design behind the development of scalable population health tools and a professional service model that enables physicians to successfully participate in value-based contracts. On today's episode, we'll learn more about recent developments both at Flacos and ValueH, including Nicole's plans to innovate in the mental health space. So, Fred, with that introduction, over to you. Help us catch up with Nicole. Thanks so much, Greg. And Nicole, welcome back to Pop Health Week. Thanks for having me. Always great to connect with you guys. Yeah, it's been a while. We had a little uh, lull in the action, I guess, not able to get you on during the COVID pandemic, et cetera, but it's fantastic to be able to catch back up with you. So give us a little sense again about what you're doing. I know you've got a new group started, the Value H Network. You've still got Flacco's going along. What's happening there? Well, Flacco's, as you know, we ended up having a virtual conference this year, like many others. Uh, you know, we even though we're a small group in comparison to a lot of larger conference forums, we thought it was just the practical and safe thing to do to just have it virtual. I think um, the conference went well. We had a lot of amazing speakers, amazing topics. I'm, you know, I, I, I do think we missed out on the great networking that we typically pull together at the conference. So I'm excited to announce that we are going to have a in-person conference this year in November in Orlando. So very excited about that. Fantastic. Yeah, really looking forward to that. It's always been a, a great group of folks getting together, incredible discussions, and really fantastic speakers. I know you're early on in that, but I'm sure there's much we're going to hear about what's happened. So what's sort of been the impact on with uh, COVID, the new administration? How are ACOs looking right now? Well, I think direct contracting was you know something cool, and lots of people are embracing it, allows a lot of new entrants in. But I do think it makes ACOs nervous. What does that mean for, for them? Um, even though I see it as an evolution, it was kind of the next-gen ACO that evolved into direct contracting. But I do think the way they're coming in, the marketplace, um, the potential for the geo, even though they've, they've paused that temporarily with the new administration, well, it could be permanent. We don't know. But, um, but I do think there's some nervousness around what DC means to ACOs. Um, one of the reasons, you know, not to segue ahead of you, but we've created a, a network called Value H Network 
which is going to aggregate ACOs in order for them to um, take on new and different contracts. You know, we lets them delve into MA, it lets them delve into DC in an interesting way that we, we hope to bring to the marketplace. It lets them do things like direct to employer. And we're getting so much interest in that, that I think it's kind of swaying some of the the nervousness or, or mitigating, I guess better word, uh, some of the nervousness that ACOs are having because of, of DC and maybe some of the stuff that might be coming out of this administration. Having said that, though, I do think that this administration might be backtracking and, and really listening to some of the ACOs' concerns. And so it could end up being a good thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you know, it's interesting you mentioned that, Greg, and I had been talking about this a bit this whole concept of we've sort of seen this move from some employers, obviously CMS, to go into direct contracting, and you've had these ACOs that some have been obviously very successful, others less so, but sort of in a model that wasn't quite as risk-taking, although it it was moving that direction. And is that you sort of see that, and also obviously recognizing with your work at Value H Network that it's sort of um, jumping to that next step rather rapidly and ACOs have an opportunity to play in that if they're willing to get more into a direct contracting and risk-based model versus some of the earlier risk models based on improvement in various measures and outcomes. I do. I think, um, you know, at first I was kind of sitting back trying to figure out what was really wildly different about direct contracting versus some of the higher risk models and the pathways of success. Certainly pathways of success has pushed you know, ACOs, especially the high revenue ones, to go to risk very quickly. The less high revenue had a little bit more, you know, runway to get there. Then here comes direct contracting, which you've got, you know, lots of different parties able to come in and and be part of, you know, payers, uh, managed Medicaid, technology companies that that want to go at risk, that had enablement services, or just really MA, you know, traditional MA enablement companies are going into direct contracts. It's very interesting who's coming into direct contracting. And for those ACOs that weren't ready to risk, weren't ready to go to risk, it's like, do we do we partner with one of these DCs? What do we do so that we don't lose this infrastructure, network, et cetera, that we put together? You know, because if we don't do something, see another entrance are going to come in and pick off our doctors. And so it's been, you know, there's good, there's bad, and there's some interesting movement. And, you know, back to what I'm trying to do with ValueH Network, I'm hoping to help these ACOs stay in place, stay together, really with the focus on independent entrepreneurial providers. You know, we're, we're not really trying to recruit hospitals. We're trying to go help um, these independent entrepreneurial providers who've created ACOs, which is really the Florida marketplace, come together and have power in negotiation with some of these DCs coming in, as well as some of these other interesting contracts. Mm-hmm. And when you talk about these value-based care and value-based contracting, it sounds like you're getting more to direct risk bearing based on, you know, they're going to take the, the providers are going to take the risk or maybe in partnership with a VC firm or something versus some of the earlier models. Is that what you're getting at? Yes, but trying to, you know, with ValueH Network, trying to help offload some of that risk. So it allows the doctors to bring all of that great enablement they've put together, all of that infrastructure stay intact as an ACO or an MSO or a SIN, whatever way they kind of formed, mm-hmm. but come into a network that, that, that helps with that risk, that offloads some of that risk, and also brings some additional enablement where it's needed. And that's really the premise behind ValueH Network. And, you know, and, and building off the Flacco's relationships and the trust that, that we've built there. So in terms of ValueH Network, it's not just a, 
a, a group to get together like Flacos is in a sense. It's actually going to have some services and and things it provides as well as being able to offload some of that financial risk. Exactly. It's it's first it's pulling the network together, but instead of going out and and recruiting individual doctors, we're trying to go and in and bring together these entities, ACOs, MSOs, SPINs, IPAs, who who have got some enablement, have some structure, you know, have leadership and and all of that in in a local area or in a broader area. And we want to leave that intact. So we want to be able to bring value to that level entity and um, and then allow them to share in as much risk as they want to take. So, you know, Mm -hmm. some will be willing to take more risk than others, but ValueH will supplement where, where they need the help. And then along with that, wrap enablement tools on top of it. Mm-hmm. And for, for those who may not be aware of it, could you define a, a SIN? So clinically integrated network, um, independent provider association, MSO is management service organization, a new coin uh, is, vir- is value service organization, and of course, ACO, accountable care organization. Right. And so um, how is this, let me ask you this, how is this different from something like an Allidade? So it's, you know, it's not different in the premise. As you know, I started a company called Orange Health that rebranded to Citra Health, which is the early predecessor of an Allidate or a Caravan, you know, which are groups that aggregate doctors, help share risk, bring enablement. I mean, it's, it's, it's very similar. I guess the difference is we're starting from Florida. We're starting from the base of trust within the Florida Association of ACOs, those relationships um, that we've built over these years and saying, okay, let's start in Florida. And let's help all of these entities that exist stay intact. And so I think the difference is maybe Allidade and Caravan are still trying to recruit one doctor at a time mm-hmm. or partner individually with an ACO to let that individual ACO take on a contract. Whereas I think we're a little bit different and we're trying to aggregate across ACOs, across SIMs, across MSOs, and bring them into one network in order to take one contract, but then DIUH can divide by those entities, why they would participate, what level of risk they want to take, what enablement tools they may or may not need. You know, if an ACO is rocking and rolling because they've got all the great stuff in place, then, you know, let's let them continue to do that, but bring them the contracts that gives them a richer upside. And mm-hmm. so, you know, everyone is different, but ValueH will create conformity around how they receive data, how they receive, you know, information from all the different contracts. So when you talk about enablement, are you going to bring in a, a standardized IT system for that kind of stuff? Is that sort of what you're thinking about? Well, so I I've, I've, I don't believe that you can take a group that might have 15 uh, EMRs and try to standardize them into one. You know, that goes against kind of that independent entrepreneurial spirit. But certainly we will provide analytics as a service in a standard way. And we'll try to, you know, integrate with whatever tools or tool sets they already have if they need some standard tool sets, we certainly will have them to offer, but we won't require them. You know, ours is much right. more of a service enablement. How do we provide stuff to supplement in a very a la carte fashion what they have or have not in place? But the most important thing is we're going to bring them contracts they probably couldn't get on their own. Got it. Got it. So you'll serve as a marketing vehicle for them. Yep. And, and An aggregator, marketing vehicle, and, and also help them manage risk. Got it. And so are there other groups involved with, with you now on this? You, you know, have you figured out uh, whether you need, you know, financial support groups or VC companies or IT companies you've chosen to work with you on this? 
Well, the first thing we've been going after are contracts, and we've got three pretty significant contracts in flux right now that we're about to finalize. Most of those contracts come with some financial support in the early days, and um, and so we believe those will enable us to go and, and negotiate the deals for reinsurance and stop loss and things like that that we'll need to bring into the fold here. Some of them come with some of that already, and some of it will, you know, the, the revenue that comes with them will allow us to go and get those and offer it. We also are bringing in um, enablement partners, and some of them coming in and, and, and being part of this is they, they bring um, some, not just capabilities, but some of the financial wherewithal to do this. And so it's interesting, you know, as we're putting this together, all the people that want to participate and see the value long-term and are willing to invest. Yeah, fantastic. Really great idea. And do you see um, this being something that you, that each of the communities has their own, you know, brand within that community, et cetera, or are you going to do a powered by value H or some other type of approach? I think it's, you know, the, the powered by value H is the approach, you know, we want whoever the local leaders are that created these entities, we want them to have autonomy in a lot of ways. In fact, you know, if they can go out and get contracts themselves that are better, then they can stick with those. If not, they can they can um, be part of the Value H network for the contracts that serve them versus those that they've already negotiated. And so it's very much a a la carte kind of approach. If we help you, great. If we don't, keep on doing what you're doing. We don't want to intervene. Got it. We don't want to interfere. And if you're just tuning in to Pomp Health Week, our guest is Nicole Bradbury, Chief Executive Officer and Chairman of the Board of the Florida Association of ACOs. And in terms of, obviously, ValueH has to have some sort of a revenue generation model. Is it something that will be on a per-life basis? Are you looking at a risk-based basis for the organization itself, like an Alliday does, or how, how might you work that? It's it's both. I mean, our our ultimate goal is to participate in risk across the board. All these contracts, you know, we've got run raise negotiated, so we can come in no risk and get to risk within a year. Um, you know, we see the, the the recruiting, the enablement, all of that stuff. There's its own financial stream on top of the financial stream that the ACOs and the doctors underneath them will get. So it kind of everybody wins. Everybody gets fed in the food chain to make all this work and come together. And we're, you know, we're getting that through the contracts that we're negotiating. Fantastic. I know also, um, you know, you'd mentioned just prior to the call, you've started a new or are starting a new mental health crisis business. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, so I'm very excited about that. Um, You know, as you know, COVID has 4X mental health crisis in this country. It was already in crisis, I believe, you know, just in in my work with ACOs and value-based healthcare you know, one of the missing pieces has always been, you know, how much mental health affects traditional um, health. And, and if you're trying to move the needle on cost of care, you cannot leave out mental health. And then, you know, like I said, along comes COVID and that just got worse and worse. And so, you know, as, as I've spent the last, you know, 10 years trying to move that needle, there's never been a really good solution for mental health. There's never been a good front door. It's always been the ER, the ER, the hospital, which never lends itself to a good result. So I've partnered with a um, couple of people who also come from a value-based healthcare background, and we are going to be building crisis mental health, urgent mental health care centers. Um, We have five that we plan to put up in the next 24 months. And, you know, maybe we can do another session that just goes deep on this model. It's really exciting and it's, you know, I'm, I'm super passionate about it. But think of 
you know, every major corner in the United States having a mental health urgent crisis care where it's 24-7, 365 days a year that when you need help, you can come to us. You know, if it's just a med bridge, you can be in and out in a couple hours. If you're truly in crisis and we know there's a huge overlap with substance abuse, so it doesn't matter, whatever the reason is you're in crisis, you can walk in our doors and we will help you. And we will not only get you out of crisis, we'll you know, hold your hand basically until we get you to where you need to be long-term. And, and hopefully a lot of those people are just, you know, a good handoff back to primary care with primary care having support from us. And then where, you know, that 20%, maybe 30% that need to go to more long-term escalated care will we'll bridge you until we get you there. And so it's, it's really exciting. It's, we become a new front door that's empathetic, that has the resources to help these people immediately. This is our only focus and at a much different price point than what happens when you go to an ER. Who really, the ER just doesn't know how to handle these patients and, um, and, and does the really no long-term service. And also it's just huge cost for our overall healthcare system. Mm-hmm. Yeah, obviously mental health is a major, major burden. Brain health, some people refer to it, or behavioral health. And um, so you're actually looking at setting up like an urgent care center, but for behavioral health. Urgent care and crisis care. And the difference is the urgent care, you will be in and out in a couple hours, you know, hopefully less, but max a couple hours. So crisis care, we can keep you up to 24 hours. And, um, and that's where, you know, you know, we just, we do everything we can to get you out of crisis and get you to the next place you need to be. And that's anybody. It's, you know, the police could pick up someone on the side of the street or in Florida, you could be Baker Act. And instead of going to a place that really doesn't understand how to help you, the ER, they, you can come to us. We'll get, we'll keep you, treat you, care for you for those 24 hours, and then get you to a place that, that, that is your next step in, in, in helping you get better. Mm-hmm. And so this, this uh, entity, these, these uh, centers would contract with health plans, I assume, and other payers? They would, yes. Mm-hmm. Medicaid managed care, um, commercial, you know, everybody who needs help can come to one of these centers. And, yeah. and, and honestly, um, even uninsured, because we believe that, you know, we, there should be no barrier to getting help. And, and uninsured is just a cost of business. And we hope to, you know, supplement maybe with grants and other funding um, for those uninsured, but we don't want to be turning anybody away that needs help. That's the model. That's the model. That's the vision. That's the passion. Front door for everybody. Mm-hmm. And what do you see about staffing these? Is that could be staffed by psychiatrists, psychologists, social workers, a team? Yeah, it's it's um, every center um, has about eighty staff, and you know, led by one psychiatrist. Um, we have therapists. We have you know, behavioral health specialists. We have peers. Peers are an amazingly um, critical resource. These are people that have been in their shoes, that have been through similar experiences know how to navigate some of those social determinants of health, which are so important to getting people better. Um, you know, and so it's the gamut of everybody that you need in order to address mental health, mental health crisis. Right. You talk about 80 staff. It's a pretty big center. Are you looking at putting beds in there and things like that? Getting it licensed as a facility? So it's, it's an outpatient facility. So the licensing, you know, is, is, is not as rigorous as you'd think. Um, it, it's a different concept in that we have a large room that has 
uh, 15 kind of chairs, but they're flat, you know, think of like dialysis chairs. So they're comfortable, people can relax, but they're open. And so, you know, they're, they're, it's much easier to manage. We're constantly moving from one patient to the next. You know, you've got a team that can work very team focused and, and it, and it also takes away some of the, the bad stuff that's always been around behavioral health where people are locked in separate rooms and, and, you know, they, they don't have people to talk with. And, and so this model is very unique, very empathetic and, and it, and it works. It works. Mm -hmm. Got it. And are, are you going to integrate any other technologies in this or is it going to be mostly a face-to-face -face come to the center? So, um, you know, we'll certainly have some telepsych, um, mm -hmm. you know, it's, more because you need it in this day and age, but also it's, we see it as very much of support for primary care. You know, a lot of these patients start in primary care and uh, the doctor just doesn't know what to do with them when they score high on the, um, on, on the, you know, the, the behavioral health depression testing that primary care does. And so, you know, we want to use telepsych to bridge that relationship. Um, but really it's, these are brick and mortar in-person clinics and, um, and then the technology that we're going to build is really about connecting to the ecosystem. So how can we make sure that, you know, if we've got someone that's homeless, so we we're connected to homeless shelters in a very easy way to find a bed for them. You know, if, if someone, you know, needs transportation, how do we connect within our platform? So that's an easy thing to do to get um, transportation for them, you know, home into our clinics, et cetera. So there's all kinds of things that we're thinking of, um, deploying in order to to bring that ecosystem that needs to help these folks and 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 solve for some of the social determinants of health you know we're building in our platform mm -hmm. and of course we'll have a traditional emr and the rev cycle and all those things that you have to run a clinic but the innovation is really around a platform that that connects that ecosystem in mm -hmm. and have you chosen locations for these we have you know I, i'd love to come back where i can um <laughs> Uh, talk to you a little more in detail, you know, because we've got some leases we're signing and and plans in place, but we haven't, you know, uh, finalized all of those. So maybe when we get a little bit closer, which is probably the next 30 days, I can go into more of that detail. Yeah, fascinating idea. Love to get some, uh, you know, more insights on it once you get it going. Is this something, Nicole, you've sort of worked up or you bring in a group of investors? How's that set up? So I have two partners. And one of my partners um, is the CEO, and he brought us in, my, myself and the third partner. Um, you probably know um, him. He ran the largest ACO business in the country, Jeff Spite. And then the other partner is Adrienne Opaco, who I worked with at Heritage, and also she was part of Universal American. But, you know, Jeff found this model. You know, there's other people in the, in the country doing crisis. Uh, you know, they're doing it a little bit different than, than our approach, but we've got enough of a model that we know that this will work and we've pulled it together. But I would say if anybody deserves the credit for kind of coming up with this, it would be Jeff. Fascinating. So, you know, I know I've got about five or so minutes left. What's been the impact? Obviously, we're, we're hopefully beginning to come out a bit of the COVID era or the, for the last year. Um, what's been the impact on ACOs, et cetera? You know, the physician groups that are underneath ACOs, which is, you know, a lot, uh, you know, our, our independent practices, certainly, you know, people not going to the doctor impacted financially their ability to, uh, to uh, keep their clinics running. Some of it was by choice because they, they 
you know, didn't know if they could service patients and a lot of them shut our doors. I think ACOs actually help keep, keep a lot of doors open mm-hmm. and keep caring for patients. I think telehealth certainly, you know, telehealth grew probably by 10 years ahead of what it would have done on its own um, because of COVID. And I don't see that, you know, going back to pre-COVID days. I think you're going to see a lot of patients who, who like that, who, you know, especially people that can't, you know, always get to the doctor will probably utilize that more because now we've proven it, it, it works. But I also think, well, I mean, to wrap that up, I think, you know, they've certainly been impacted. ACOs underscored the, the, the need for ACOs, for entities that really could look at these populations, be proactive on who needed to come in, who needed to be touched, because we really had to prioritize care when care was being kind of um, reduced because we were trying to keep people at home and, and not out and about and certainly not in healthcare settings where other people were sick. And so I think, you know, it really underscored how important ACOs, accountable care, value-based healthcare have been. And so, you know, if if anything, it's done that. But I do think from a financial perspective, because people haven't gone to the hospital at the rate that they did before, you know, that anybody taking risk or in shared savings models, even though they might have gotten hurt on the front end, because uh, the delivery system on the front end slowed down, I think on the back end, everybody that's been involved in these models has, has kind of financially been okay because of the um, the risk side of that. So o- overall, I think this year has just propelled the value of value-based healthcare. Yeah, I think your you know your point on the, the telehealth, the growth has been phenomenal. Obviously, it backed off some after the first couple months. I was actually putting together a presentation on telehealth in primary care for a group and it's just amazing looking at those numbers and it'll be interesting to see how that changes the model going forward just as you're talking about with this new front door you're creating for behavioral health you know how much the telehealth is just an add-on to a practice or does it is it used to transform the whole approach so it'll be interesting to watch that as we go forward i agree yeah and uh i think i think the genie's out of the bottle for sure yeah (laughs) definitely and, and clearly, I think, you know, telehealth, one of the things obviously everyone had to do was was get us to, uh, you know, get payment for that. So I think the movement to value-based care makes telehealth even more important. And so, you know, I, I appreciate obviously your time today discussing telehealth, discussing the the new behavioral health launch. You're always innovating, Nicole. And clearly, uh, Greg and I are looking <laughs> forward to heading out to your uh, conference, hopefully, in November. For sure. You you are you're part of the, the original crew. We couldn't do it without you. Well, thanks so much. and really appreciate you coming on Pop Health Week and giving us some new insights into your new uh, new new programs around Value H Network and the mental health area. So greatly appreciated, Nicole. Always great to catch up with you guys, and I can't wait till November to see you in person. Thanks. Back to you, Greg. And thank you, Fred. That is the last word for today's broadcast. I want to thank Nicole Bradbury, Chief Executive Officer and Chairman of the Board of the Florida Association of ACOs, for her time and insights today. For more information on her work, go to www.flacos.com or follow her on Twitter via at Nicole Bradbury and Flacos, respectively. And finally, if you're enjoying our work at Pop Health Week, please consider subscribing to our channel on the podcast platform of your choice and do follow us on Twitter by at Pop Health Week. For my colleague Fred Goldstein, Nicole Bradbury, this is Greg Masters saying bye now. Bye now.